Welcome to Sudoku Book Club, where we finally get to the books that have been sitting on our shelves for forever. I'm Leif Nelson. I'm Emily Miner. And today, we're joined by my other parent, almost a year, actually just over a year since we recorded it with uh, my mom, is my dad. Janet, want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Dad Nelson. <laughs> Kent Nelson. Can I call you Dad Nelson from sure. now? <laughs> sure. Um, and we have dad here with us, not because he has read something, but because I felt like he could hopefully give a better pers- or a different perspective on the book that I read, which I think we mentioned about two months ago, <laughs> um, Dune by Frank Herbert. Um, Dune is, uh, probably one of the most famous science fiction books ever. I mean, the, the, this edition I specifically have on the back compares it to the Lord of the Rings of science fiction, which is accurate-ish, I think. Um, I got this about just shy of two years ago. I think you, Dad, got me this for Christmas mm-hmm. alongside a bunch of other books, um, most of which I haven't read either. So they'll be making future appearances on the podcast. Um, yeah, uh year and a half ago, got this for Christmas. It's been sitting on in a box. And then when I was at K-State, I had my little office, it was sitting up there because it was like, "Mm, maybe sometime in between grading, I'll pull it down and read it. And I never did. And yeah, this is one of those that has been sitting on my shelf for forever and finally pulled it off to read it. Um, Before getting into it, why did you get me this, Dad? Because it's a good classic science fiction book um yeah i was trying to think about the science fiction part of it i tend to like hard science fiction Hmm. a lot but it's really not that hard it's probably the more i was thinking about it and i haven't read it in probably 40 years and so i was trying to remember so mainly i remember it was a lot of houses and Mm -hmm. different family groups that were fighting so i'm not really sure how hard a science fiction it is it's more about politics and religion so what do you categorize as like hard science fiction uh like asimov probably okay there's more i'm trying to think who else robert heinlein heinlein yeah i don't know <laughs> but like <laughs> beyond like so like i don't so i'm trying to think what is but more less less like um you know not a bunch of telepathy not a certainly no magic okay yeah okay so more gotcha. like things so that, all like science basically if you had an interstellar drive but you don't have a bunch of other stuff okay you know mm. and maybe interstellar drives aren't super high <laughs> hard science fiction but i it, don't know yeah it feels like that's always the go-to like step away so like anything like um star trek or babylon 5 everything will be mostly kind of hard sci-fi yeah, based on and then someone has telepathy or can sense your emotions or something like that yeah but yeah not too much of the magical stuff yeah or things that aren't explained um yeah this definitely is a little more it's interesting it does have like some sort of like hard sci-fi elements where he goes very much into the nitty-gritty of these like different tech pieces and what they do and what their purposes are um but yeah the beginning um is very much like well it feels like a fantasy book because it's or a historical novel of like here are these rival houses and there's the emperor who is in space instead of just being on earth 
and the different domains that they have and the different like political intrigue going on. It took me about two months, I think, to read this book because um, I was on and off and on about it. And it took me a majority of that time to get through probably the first third of the book because it very much is just like a lot of exposition about these different places and the different factions because there's the houses and then there's this um, the main character is Paul Atreides and his dad is a duke and his mother is his father's concubine and she is part of the Benet Gesserit or something like that um, which is a I don't really know they're a order of women who manipulate people and can control um, a lot of aspects about their biology she's his mom is in trouble because she gave birth to a son they're supposed to be able to control whether they oh. give birth to a boy or a girl and she wanted to give uh she felt she fell in love with the duke when she wasn't supposed to and so she wanted to give him an heir um, yeah concubines are not supposed to fall in love <laughs> so especially recipe for disaster not, especially not when you're a spy for some sort of interstellar witch like organization <laughs> that would make things complicated mm. um supposedly the benet Gesserit were based on frank herbert's aunts um who were very catholic and were constantly oh. trying to uh get him to go to church or something like that that's well, funny because the Gennesaret isn't the name of the israeli government it might be i have no idea he I have no idea. Herbert definitely... The word itself. Yeah, I mean, he takes a lot of stuff. So, like, when they get actually on Dune, or Arrakis is its real name. Dune is, like, the nickname because it's a desert planet where the only real native species, as far as I can tell, are these giant sandworms, which start out very small, but just, like, they're like um, jellyfish, or I can't remember there's some other species where they don't have a maximum size. They just keep growing until they're killed, basically. Um and it has been slightly um, terraformed in the sense that there's like oxygen. And there's also mentions of like mice and hawks and other things that can survive ish in the desert with like some genetic modification, it sort of sounds like. But um, on the planet, there is also a semi local group. It's always hard to tell like how long. Like the timeline of everything. I think I watched the trailer for the movie where it said something about the year 10,000, but I don't know if that, I can't remember if that's actually what the book says. When did the movie come out? I just looked it up. 84, because I was trying to remember. Okay. Came out in the 80s, and uh, the trailer looked wild. Um, (laughs) It was, uh, it it had Princess Irulan, I don't know, I can't remember, um, who's the daughter of the emperor talking about what what you're going to see in this movie which was really strange um and it's directed by david lynch so of course it's kind of like very trippy visuals and i don't know people talking loudly <laughs> is that how I... I don't know david lynch kind of likes people who aren't necessarily acting well but are acting a lot mm-hmm. it seems like <laughs> <laughs> that's my opinion at least emily I, have you seen twin peaks I have. I thought, okay. For at least, the, at I've least seen cool. the first season. So you have an idea. Of what yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I don't even, I'm not like trying to say that's a bad thing. I think it's, <laughs> it's definitely interesting. Um, but the thing that on Dune that they're, he's obviously stealing from is just a bunch of like Middle Eastern terminology. 
So the Fremen, who are kind of locals, but obviously moved here. Basically, they're the first humans who settled here. Um, are very, like, a lot of it is based on, like, Islamic culture of, like, um, jihad, things like that. Just a lot of the language. I can't remember the specifics. And also, like, the feeling feels very, like, kind of like Bedouin or something, where they kind of roam around and uh, basically have their little communities around, like, these different oases that they find in the desert. And that you later find out that they're actively cultivating um so yeah i think he is stealing from a lot of things as he's going around the name of the emperor is actually the again i'm probably gonna mispronounce all of these words padishah emperor which apparently is a term that was used in like asia middle east asia areas like that and i don't know what it necessarily what it means but it sort of sounds like it just is another way of saying emperor like high king emperor um, I'm just and, looking it up. Yeah. <laughs> you ready for this definition? Yes. Uh, a title formerly used for various rulers, including the Shah of Iran and the Sultan of Turkey. Okay. So, yes, you are correct. Gotcha. Um, in essence, he's taking from a lot of things. I actually, one of the other things that I was putting off because of this wasn't just reading it. But there was a podcast I listened to called Imaginary Worlds, where he, the host, will go into either a specific book or genre or whatever and kind of talk about some aspect of it. And like a year or two back, he did one on Dune. And I listened to the first five minutes before he said, okay, spoilers are coming up. And I was like, I had just gotten the book. I'm like, I'll read the book first and then I'll listen to this. And then, of course, I put off reading the book. But in that, he talked to some... Um, uh, scholars and um, uh, Middle Easterners who had read the book and were like weirded out at seeing like they weren't used to seeing necessarily like Middle Eastern te- terminology used um, when it comes to sci-fi. You're used yeah. to seeing either just pretty generic English or I don't know what someone trying to make up their own Esperanto or something like that. <laughs> And when, when I was young, Esperanto was, was oh, it was the language of yeah. the future. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Esperanto itself is extremely European, like, based. It doesn't have, yeah, like, Yeah, it's a very of, romantic language based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not going to have, like, I don't know, Central African, like, clicks or anything or right. Asian sounds alongside that. Um, but it was interesting hearing their perspective on, like, where like what terms he used well and which ones he doesn't and I, I didn't and i won't go into that overall it seemed like he did a good job like he was accurate in his representation of all those things um you can listen to that podcast if you want um to go look for it besides that yeah it took me a long time to get through the first third i was extremely bored because it's intrigue which i do like it's not my necessarily my cup of tea but i can like enjoy political intrigue but it didn't i didn't like that you weren't just it wasn't just one person navigating through this political intrigue they would someone would say something and then that person would run through every single possibility of it and then you would get the other person's perspective about what they were thinking so you knew what everyone was doing and you heard all the possibilities 
And it was very clear that, okay, he's put a lot of thought into this and is going to show you how much thought he put <laughs> yeah. into it. Yeah. And that just kind of, like, ruined the intrigue. And it's not that, like, knowing that, like, there's a traitor somewhere is a bad thing. Like, that can still be kind of tense, like, when they're passing by each other and you know one person is, like, an assassin the other person isn't. But this wasn't like that. It was just, like, two people arguing about, like, I don't know, the rights to spice, which is, like, the main... Uh, uh, resource on Arrakis um, and you get both sides for like five pages about like as they're negotiating and I just didn't care about that it was once the assassination happens when Duke Leto Atreides the his father is murdered and uh, Paul and his mother have to escape into the desert and survive um, in this wasteland that actually started get, getting interesting because they get found by some Fremen, and they you start like learning about their culture and all these prophecies they have that deal with, obviously, Paul. And it's very clear that Paul is some sort of messiah-like figure that they are latching onto because he fits all these prophecies. And it's kind of hinted that the prophecies were... Uh, the seed of the prophecies were made by the Bene Gesserit, centuries centuries back but it's not entirely clear how they like planted that and how they were actually accurate about paul since he was supposed to be an accident he wasn't supposed to exist he's the quizats hadarak i don't remember i have no idea how to pronounce it. <laughs> they will say things and they won't explain what it is I, I, they, they actually might explain quizats hadarak or however it's pronounced uh but a lot of times and i actually liked this they will they will just say these either Arabic or, um, I don't know, Farsi words, and then they don't explain them, but you kind of, like, get the context as they're talking, and it's not to like, the very back that you see it. It's not like they say it, and, like, right next to it you see that eventually you learn it. Um, so, wait, I, are you saying there's, like, a dictionary in the back? There's or? a dictionary in the back, but I don't think it's, like, super necessary. I think you get enough, like, context within it. To be like, oh, okay, like, I know what they're talking about. Okay. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is just, like, kind of mishmashed together. A lot of stuff. And I think I mentioned how it doesn't feel like a sci-fi a lot of the times. It, even though it is very much a sci-fi story, especially with all the technology involved, the part where it's the hardest sci-fi is, like, the water technology, because water is precious, um, to off-worlders, the most important thing is the spice, but on-world, it's water. It's making sure you have access to it because you will die without it. And so the Fremen have this whole thing about like when someone dies, collecting all the water out of their body. You can't just like bury them or burn them or oh anything like gosh. that. You have to basically like dehydrate them and collect that, and it belongs to the tribe. And that was really interesting because as you later learned that all this water isn't just for them. You also find out that they're like tithing part of it. And it's part of this very long process of terraforming Arrakis uh, that is supposed to, is going to take centuries and uh, they're fully committed to it. They're, they don't really care how long it's going to take it. They don't care that they're not the ones who are going to benefit from a kind of lush and verdant Arrakis. Um, and that's one of the main things that kind of is pretty clearly focused on the book is like ecology and like, he, I don't think he even calls it terraforming. He just talks about 
planetology and uh, um, the ecology of like what kind of grasses and what kinds of like berms to make so that like things are going to last for a while. And this was making me think of when we had gone to Montana and uh uh, like plans to that were supposed to like help like with the bald eagle population that end up like turning things because we like to think of like what will work like right now so in montana i'm probably gonna butcher this but there was like there's like this lake or water system where they there was a chain of what's the word the food chain and they were like, oh, we can add this kind of prawn or this kind yeah. of like fish yeah, kind of that fish. will like fit within the food chain, but won't, and will like provide more food for the higher ups, but won't mess with other things. But in, instead, it outcompeted the existing fish for mm-hmm. the lower foods, killing those higher fish. And then they were better at getting away from the eagles yeah. that had originally been planned. So that actually lowered the population. And it's been like slowly coming back. And. It was interesting how, like, even, like, honestly, probably around the same time they were doing this thing that he's writing about, like, how long and laborious a process it is to actually, like, change something without, like, throwing things out of whack. And the book is actually, like, dedicated to, like, in his dedication page, it's to ecologists. I was going to ask you, like, is there supposed to be some sort of environmental message in this book, or...? To an extent, but it honestly is more just an environmental mes- message of, like, it takes a lot of work. Not necessarily, like, it's, well, we should be it's doing not really harm. about pollution that I can think I of. Don't know, I don't remember any of that. I just remember being a kind of a study of, yeah, the ecology of the desert. Yeah, to me. It's, it, it, it was basi- more like, here's how the desert works. There was a foreword by his son, like, that's probably about, like, ten pages. And he kind of talked about, like, how his dad got, like kind of obsessed with like reading these scientific papers of like i can't remember if it was like israel or somewhere else that they were like trying to um reverse desertification probably expansion of like sahara or i don't know what the deserts near um israel are but uh he was just really interested in that and so basically spent all this time researching this stuff and in writing the book you can really tell because that's like some it's kind of dry, but it's also really interesting that he does a really good job of making it kind of kind of elevating it because it's part of like essentially the religion of these people to terraform the planet. And so the way all of their traditions and everything surrounding the water and things like that kind of all point to the singular purpose was really interesting. Cool. Um, the other ways it doesn't feel like a sci-fi is because of how much religion is in it. Because most of the time in sci-fi, religion is either going to go like two ways. It's either going to be like, we've completely abandoned religion, there's no point, we're way smarter than that, and we've killed God. Um, or some sort of like pity mention of religion, where mm-hmm. like, uh, Oh, those people who still believe sort that of thing? That sort of, or? but also like, uh, sorry. I don't know. The, what I'm thinking of right now is ba- an episode of Babylon 5 where uh, every alien culture has a single religion, but humans have thousands of mm. or hundreds of religions. And this is supposed to be like part of what makes us great. And um, I don't know. 
in general, most sci-fi, when it's talking about religion, doesn't feel like it's written by someone who's had either a close relationship with religion or, like, actually understands it in, like... And I'm not even saying, like, they're a believer in some sense, but, like, understands how religious people act beyond simply, like, religious violence or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, the stuff I read growing up, like Asimov or something, mm-hmm. would be the view that you had at first, where it's just, it's just, we've outgrown it. So mm-hmm. it might be a humanism of some sort, but... Right. Yeah. It wasn't any kind of supernatural... And, and to an extent, there's parts of that because, like, like I mentioned, it's, like, hinted that the, or not necessarily hinted, but, like, it seems like the prophecies were seeded and, like, forced to conform to, like, what these, like, outer forces wanted them to be like. But at other times, it seems like it's actually um, not necessarily useful, but, like, he seems to treat it with, like, a respect in certain ways. Um there's like this weird thing where there's this thing called the Orange Catholic Bible that's m- compiled after like a hundred years of a bunch of different religious figures creating similar texts that aren't supposed to re- take over the other one, but are supposed to show like what's in common. And that was interesting too, but didn't deal a whole lot with that. Um, I don't know. It was just interesting the way he dealt with religion. It just felt, I don't know, a little more natural than it usually does like overall thumbs up thumbs down or is that where you're going or yeah i think for them like once i got past the political intrigue i really liked it um seeing it, it it had its issues i guess but like for the most part i feel like that's just like i don't like every part of the book um one if it didn't have that beginning section i don't know necessarily think much would have been missed um like they're like they're villains but they don't have like a real hands-on approach other than the initial assassination and then later to be defeated by paul because he unites all of the tribes and they in a very cool like like it honestly was very like it felt awesome in that there are these giant sandworms that as like a coming of age ceremony you're supposed to ride one you hook these big meat hooks into them and you get up on top and you are touching tender bits so you can steer them and well they won't go under the sand if you keep them right open, right yep. yeah if you keep them open they won't go under and you won't like okay get you won't die taken okay. below the earth <laughs> yeah, yeah crushed and they basically harness them to there's the scene where the emperor has landed because he was part of like the conspiracy to kill his dad and take over their family and uh the emperor steps out and like his elite guard would come from a prison planet that's supposed to be like the most the harshest conditions ever and that's why they're so good part of the plot is that arrakis is even more harsh than this prison planet so the people who live there are even hardier than they are so they're even better fighters and was a prison planet called azkaban i don't think so i don't remember the fighting guard are called sardaukar or something like that um and it's this is another kind of weaker part where the Sardaukar, it's introduced that the Sardaukar are the mightiest warriors, and then it turns out that the Fremen are even better than them, and then it turns out Paul is even better than the Fremen. So it kind of feels like yeah. you're just kind of, like, he's supposed to be like 15 or 16, and it, it, it's just kind of a little too much, like, chosen one stuff sometimes. But for the most part, I think it's fine. Um, especially since it's clear that the reason he's like that is because 
of a strange mixture of having like this kind of he was trained as a mentat which is like a human computer and then his mom is a Bene Gesserit, which means he has like some sort of like intuition powers where he can sort of read people and know which words to say to like kind of push them in the direction he wants. And then he starts ingesting spice, which means like it enhances all of these things because the reason spice is so good is because, or so wanted is because space navigators use it to like power their brain as they steer ships everywhere so and see i was just picturing like oh yeah it's like spices just like no. just like the spice trade no. yeah. yeah it's a drug okay it's a drug. gotcha it, it, it i'm sure it is supposed to be like hinting towards that like that's why like the silk road or things like mm-hmm. that but yeah um it's hinted it's, it's basically spice is like a drug and it's low form and then it can be processed into like these higher and higher like purposes and apparently can be used to make plastic explosives it's kind of like i didn't remember be, that yeah it's a, it's a one-off line uh i was looking at wikipedia to remind myself because i finished this book like a month ago and it mentioned uses for spice and under it was plastic <laughs> explosives and apparently that happened in the book um but yeah they take these worms and uh his forces his spaceship has crashed or something and he walks out and he just sees all these worms like coming across the dunes and it, it like it literally sent chills down my spine because it was like i could really see that and it sounded really cool um actually the other thing that i really liked about the ending was that paul has been like cultivating this messiah like personality where people will just do what he wants without even having to say it like he looks a certain way and people will jump to it and it starts becoming a little sinister. Like he's he he you hear his inner monologue of like knowing what he could do if he wanted to, and knowing that like there's this gonna be a galaxy wide jihad basically started because of what he's doing and he doesn't care because he just wants to get revenge for his dad dying. And at the end of the book, I did some when I finished the book I read through some stuff where people were apparently I got spoiled for future books, so Again, spoiler alert, that apparently he starts taking, like, this darker turn in the later books. Mm -hmm. And people got mad about that. And to me, that seems extremely natural from what you're seeing Mm -hmm. right now. That, like, he's wielding all this power and, like, isn't necessarily going to use it all for good. Yeah, I remember enjoying the first book and then... They're just going downhill from there. For me. Well, as, how far... As a did, high school kid. Because he, he wrote a couple, and then his son takes over yeah, for some of them. Wait, there's think, more than one? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like an entire series. Like, there's Children of Dune, Dune Messiah, a bunch of... Oh, and mm. see, I was going to ask, and then I was like, no, like, that's stupid. Like, you know there's only one. No, no, <laughs> and then his son took over, and it kept going, and... Oh, yeah. wow. Jeez. I don't know. I just thought it got pretty dull, but... Well, and tell how long the... I mean, you know. When was this written? The book was written, I want to say in the 60s. Was it? And it's what, like 800 pages? Yes. Uh, original printing, 65. Oh, I see. That's earlier than I guessed. Um, and you, I agree with you about the opening. I I mean, I, I didn't remember all that stuff. Right. I don't remember all that intrigue. I mean, I knew there were, it was there, but mm-hmm. I didn't care about it. There's this whole it, plot about like... How servants have been conditioned so they can't hurt people. And then Baron Harkonnen, the big bad guy, uh, has found a way to get past that. And so the family doctor is a traitor. And that's kind of like what's going yeah. on. But 
But yeah, it wasn't until they escaped, basically. Mm-hmm. After, that's when it got interesting. Yeah. So I think if it was published today, the editor would say, <laughs> you have to get rid of that first third or however yeah. much of that. Get to the assassination you as need soon to get as to possible. That sooner. I don't think a modern audience would wait that long. Would I, I don't, don't know. know. I, I don't know. So I guess I wanted you on for a couple reasons. One, just like any thoughts you had about reading it, but also because you have seen what I haven't, but I would like to, which is (laughs) the David Lynch movie. Could you tell us about that a little bit? So I just looked it up. It came out in 84. So I'm trying to think what else had come out. Had Empire Strikes Back would have been out. Yeah. Anyway, so to me, I just remember going to the theater and, and, you know, I read the book and I was had my hopes up. And then the first scene, the first image is a woman talking to you, the audience, mm-hmm. telling you the history, and it just went on and on and on. <laughs> and if you haven't read the book, you don't care. And if you have read the book, you already know all the <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, it was just, I mean, I'm sure the studio told him, hey, you can't do this because no one's going to understand what's going on. Um, yeah, it was just bad. And then, you know, Sting, the singer is has a he's in it and he's, he's a role he's fade rautha he is the right. nephew of baron harkonnen he's also like the antichrist version. i don't like, know but he was he's like an evil version of paul who like yeah they fight to the death at the end of the book it's yeah, actually it was, it's actually interesting but <laughs> it was just really poorly made i mean it was just <laughs> i'm sure i mean and it's not like the sets it seems like the sets were okay i i mean i want you know I, from what i remember i just watched the scene where he rides the the yeah. worm and the worm looked cool like it's it actually looked enormous and like is cresting over this so sand it was probably and, stop motion or something back yeah, then it wouldn't maybe. have been computer animation so yeah i can't remember i mean you can tell blue screen and all that uh-huh, stuff but yeah but no worse than the Star Wars movies, probably. But yeah, it was just, it just seemed like they had certain scenes that worked and then other ones that it wasn't a whole story. It was just little bits and pieces of the story. So I don't know. I mean, a book that big, kind of like Lord of the Rings is awful. Mm-hmm. You know, I never thought Lord of the Rings could be made into a film series until Jackson did it. So anyway, and then now I understand they're making a new movie. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I'm excited. He, For Dune? Yes. Okay. It is. Uh, what's his name? Bill and Wave? You pronounce it better than I do. I don't think I do. I just say it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, and I think he has potential to make a, a Have nice you seen movie Ex Machina? No, I haven't. But so I've he been... did Ex Machina. Yeah. He did the new the Blade Runner new Blade sequel, Runner. which okay. I liked. Okay. I thought it was good. The look was nice. Um, and then he did the one with the Mexican drugs. And oh all yeah, that. I I thought that was a good film. Wait, did he do Ex Machina or not? He did Arrival. That's what. He oh, did. he did Arrival. He yeah. did Arrival. Okay, so nice here's film. the thing. Like, I, well, that would make me watch it automatically. Yes. I will never read this book. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I am not a 800 page book really? reader. Mm-mm. Um, but like, if he gets the visuals cool and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. I would be into it. Because we just saw, we were at the dusty bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw a new copy of this, and like that had a different, like sort of newer looking yeah, cover. Nice artwork on it. Yeah, well, it was like very orange and super mm-hmm. cool, and I would I would just watch it for the cool visuals, but I won't read it. <laughs> yeah, the- yeah. To me, the film was just very disappointing, mm-hmm. and I don't remember other than I remember Sting 
doing a duel <laughs> with someone and he's wearing a diaper. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a science fiction looking diaper, but he's wearing a diaper. And it's just so silly. I remember the evil Baron Harkonnen. Baron Harkonnen, like squishing a little mouse or something oh. in a machine oh. and sucking it into his. I can actually probably explain it just that. Weird. It's because Paul's Fremen name is Muadib, which means mouse. Because uh, yeah, he sees a mouse jumping and that's how he fights. He mm, jumps around a lot. Yeah. Okay. So, I about that. that is probably, I can't, I can't say why, but that's probably why. But yeah, so the, to me, the movie was just very disappointing. There was a science fiction or a sci-fi channel miniseries. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a better job of trying to cover the story. Um, but as far as the book, what I remember is the still suit, which mm-hmm. is what the Freeman would wear mm-hmm. to survive in the desert. Have you heard of this, Emily? Mm-hmm. So basically, it's like a, almost like a space suit. That's not quite as bulky, but it recycles all your water. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. You mm-hmm. did tell me about that. Every bit so, of water like, that comes from anything, and that in your you body. couldn't survive forever just on your own no, recycled no. water. But like, that's part of. Pre- yeah. It'll... Yeah. So that was cool. The sandworms were cool. I'm trying to think what else was you know to a high school kid it was like. Oh, that's really. It's like an adventure story now. <laughs> the hooks and the yeah. I'm trying to think what other technology they had. No, but yeah. To me, you know, now looking back at it, to me, it seems like the spice. I'm sure everybody has their own interpretation. It seems to me like the spice is like the oil in the Middle East. Mm, yeah. And that everybody wants that, that whatever it is. Yeah, it's I kind mean, of like opium and oil. Yeah. And it's everything you want it to be since it can be also a drug and also And an to, explosive. Yeah, yeah so, right. And I, and I didn't realize this until, again, Wikipedia. Apparently he doesn't describe spice at all, like the appearance of it. You just it just says what it is and kind of how it's made because you find out that it's apparently the worms that actually like do something with water or something else that produces the spice. Yeah, the worms produce the spice. Yeah. And again, that that makes me think of oil again because right. it's like digging or mm-hmm. fracking yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. Yeah, I think overall, I, I liked the book. I think it has. Obviously, issues that can are mostly just readability issues. I think overall, I liked the book quite a bit. Um, if you can get past, or if you enjoy political intrigue, <laughs> it's definitely something you can enjoy. And then it turns into like a uh, hatchet in the desert, as they yeah. kind of like are. See, that's the fun hatchet, part. like the kids book. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. The Paulson novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. Which is Gary way more Paulson. fun than political intrigue and yeah. backstabbing and. Literally, yeah. next. <laughs> the only other thing I'll say is that uh, my favorite character died halfway through the book. Um, he was the planetologist who was like, because I'm always a sucker for like a, the curmudgeonly character who slowly starts getting won over about like, oh, maybe we do actually have a chance. And then he just dies. And he gets eaten by a sandworm, which is cool. <laughs> or wait, no, it's not a sandworm. There's like an explosion of spice. Like the spice accumulates underground and then... It I forgot bubbles about that. up yeah. through the earth, and uh, much like oil, yeah. So he he mm-hmm. he he's afraid. There's like this shuddering on the ground. He's afraid there's a sandworm, and all. then it stills, and he's like, "Oh no, I know what this is actually." And then and then he it goes, and then you get a flashback through his entire childhood up to here, <laughs> which was great actually. I really liked that. <laughs> Didn't like that he died, but that's how it went. All right. Uh, what are we going to read next time, Emily? I'm going to talk about Dark Places by Gillian Flynn. All right. Dad, 
Thanks for joining us. Do you have any last words? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm blank. Great. I'm ready to go watch Mindhunter. That's what I'm ready to do. Yeah, it just came out. All right. Uh, With that, thank you so much to Velt Punch for their song, Fighting Clothes. From his album. His Strange Fighting Clothes. Thank you. And with that, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Adios. Um, For those viewers at home, that was Grandpa stealing chocolate. (laughs) Here on NPR, we (laughs) use our indoor voices. Anytime we're taking a break, I'll just start whispering. Hey, we just cut this out. Yeah, just take this out. You're really underappreciated as a. You are. are. Now he's going for the Cheetos. This is Grandpa in his natural habitat. Did you get enough chocolate, Neil?